You know, language learning today is barely different than it was, you know, in 150 years ago, right? I mean, talking about 150 years ago, right? Thomas Jefferson learned French roughly the same way that I tried to learn French, right? There's, I think, better ways of learning languages. Diesmal im 15 Seconds Podcast, Scott Chacon, der CEO von Chatterbug, im Gespräch mit Innovationsstrategin Samantha Yawood. No egos, no agendas, no bullshit. Du hörst den 15 Seconds Podcast. Der Podcast für neugierige Geister. Good afternoon, ein schönen Tag to everybody who's joining us today. Um, welcome to the 15 Seconds Podcast with Scott Chacon. He is the GiftFound Hubber and Chatterbox um, co-founder and CEO. Um, my name is Samantha Yarwood, and I have the pleasure of hosting Scott today. Um, we're going to have a conversation around everything that he's been involved in, his learnings, and hopefully you'll be able to take some of this and apply it to the work that you're doing today. Um, I just want to mention it's really exciting for me to be here for a number of reasons is I've been involved with 15 seconds since the very beginning. And one of the things that I enjoy the most about 15 seconds is a chance to engage with lots of people from across Europe, um, but specifically people who are really curious and people who are curious from uh, in school perspective and they're just starting to learn people who are curious from the perspective of they've got startup businesses, others who are working in corporations. Um, but 15 seconds not only brings different people with mindsets together and at different stages in their life, but also with all kinds of different experiences. And it's really that intersection of having those international individuals in one place at one time, exploring business, innovation, creativity, and really looking at that curiosity and those people who are eager to, eager to share their knowledge, but also figure out how they can use that knowledge to support others, drive positive change change and shape the future. Now, since the beginning, there's been over tens of thousands of people who've been involved and have had a chance to exchange ideas. But today, having this first podcast for me with 15 seconds is a huge milestone, as it really is an opportunity for us to connect and to share this experience with people globally. Um, so I'm super excited by that. But what I'm most excited about is having Scott be our guest today. Um, Scott, to me, really embodies and lives the 15 seconds mission and vision, um, a super curious mind. And he's agreed to share his knowledge today, which hopefully, as I mentioned, you can take back and apply to, you know, your world or your business um, and shape your future. So Scott, as I mentioned, is one of the co-founders of GitHub, um, and GitHub is one of Silicon Valley's biggest software development stories. Um, he's also a published author and written the book ProGit, and he's currently the co-founder and CEO of Chatterbug, which is really disrupting the language learning space. And I have to say, I have downloaded the app and I've started to use it to learn German. Um, for anybody who's listening, one of my goals is to get on stage at 15 seconds and speak in German. And one of the things I have to say, Scott, that I really enjoy about the 
caveat so far is the personalized messages that I get from you. But also there's always some, you've managed to find a way to weave in at least some sort of German knowledge or word into everything. So I find that's helping me to even get more curious and accelerate my learning. So thank you. Mm -hmm. um, speaking about accelerating, um, Scott's also involved in SCENE, which is an accelerator program in Berlin that I'm looking forward to hearing more about. So one of the things that I like most about you, Scott, though, in reading your profile and also having a chance to talk to you is that you really invest in companies to help bring cool companies um, to the market to grow, but also you want to try and help the world. Um, so enough about me. What I'd like to do is find out a little bit about more about you. And on that, one of the things that I was thinking about is just given where we kind of are in the world today, a lot of things are changing and accelerating really quickly, but we're also living in a time where we're facing some of our most complex challenges. So I think we can actually overcome all of those. But hypothetically speaking, if 150 years from now, science fails us and all that is left behind is a book and there's a book on your life, what do you think the title would be? And what would the blurb tell us about you? Um, hi, it's nice to be here. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, hopefully the book would be um, be something along the lines of, you know, Scott Chacon, the, the guy who did what he loved and died with no regrets. I think that's kind of the, the book that all of us would like to have <laughs> at some <laughs> point at the end. Um, although, again, 150 years from now is a pretty long time. So uh, we'll see if people are reading books in the same way. Maybe the uh, sort of holographic, you know, mind story of the time. Yeah, who knows? Maybe you'll be virtually watching this someday. <laughs> so, Scott, if you if I was to ask your parents um, what you do for a living, how would they describe it? <laughs> Well, now I think it's relatively simple, right? Like I, I have a company that helps people learn languages. That's the most, uh, that's the, the focus of what I do. And, and that's what I really love day to day. That's I'm the CEO of the company. And um, I have other projects that, that I work on. Actually, what's funny is that, you know, with, uh, he, he, teach people's, he teaches people languages. He has a website that teaches people languages. Um, several of, you know, my, my parents, my, my wife's parents are, are using the website to learn English and learn Spanish as well. So they have a pretty good idea of what that was. When I was at GitHub, that was a relatively different story. So, you know, talking about software development tools, um, to, to parents is a little bit, a little bit more of a challenge. I can imagine. So you mentioned GitHub and from what I know about GitHub, you know, huge success story, 50 million developers get together. They're helping to shape the future um, of software. I'm really curious when you think about that GitHub experience, what was the most important thing that you learned and how are you applying that to Chatterbug? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I worked with a lot of very smart people at GitHub and and took away a lot of experience that that um, I've been applying at Chatterbug as well. And to, you know, it's hard to choose sort of one thing, but I think the most important thing probably is to work on what you love, right? To to mm -hmm. to care about the user experience of the product, no matter what the product is. Um, I think at the time, you know, at, at sort of, you know, this is mid 2000s uh, or 2008, I think is sort of when we started. But um, at the time, there's lots of software development tools and a lot of them were really horrible, right? They would they would build them to have a million features so that it could be sold to sort of the IT head or, or the CTO or something. 
Um, and it wasn't about making the software development experience really better. It was about saying, here's 100 checkboxes, and we have more checkboxes than the, the competition. And so, you know, you should spend your, your sort of corporate budget on this. And I think when GitHub came along, um, it, th that was sort of one of our competition. And then the other was this sort of free software thing where they were just trying to get as many eyeballs as possible and sell advertising. And I think both of those models are, they, they, they end up in really bad product, right? They end up in product that nobody really cares what, what the end user, what's like for the end user. Um, and you see this today as well. Like I really don't, it's harder for me to trust product or, or for good product to come out of something that relies on advertising money um, as opposed to something that's built primarily with the person that's using it in mind, right? Um, and, and appeals to them. And that was one of the nice things about GitHub is that we had this open source sort of, or this version for open source that was free. And we would kind of use that as marketing because we had people, you know, using it because they loved using it. And then we would charge for it um, in sort of a corporate perspective. And that's how we ended up making money. But we had to build something that people loved using. And, and I never really want to build a product that people don't love using, even if it sells very well. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that um, having, you know, worked for some large corporations, but also been a software user, um, it amazes me sometimes how much the software actually isn't developed for the user and having that in mind. So, you know, incredible platform and, you know, the stories that I've heard from how you've been able to, you know, positively help others impact the world um, is pretty incredible. So on that, out of all the stories that you've heard, um, what's one that kind of really resonates with you around, yes, this is how we delivered on our promise. And I'm really proud to see that. Um, you're talking about sort of in the GitHub days? Yeah, in the GitHub days, yeah. Actually, um, uh, th it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of different things. I mean, there were a lot of sort of people in charge of open source projects. Um, there was a really early project called Ushahidi that had this sort of crisis crowdsourcing software um, out of Kenya. Um, that that ended up using GitHub to to share their their software with everybody. There were a lot of really cool projects that that came about and that found a lot of people to work on them um, thanks to, to to GitHub. But actually, what I'm what is actually more interesting to me, I think, as far as how it's changed people's lives in in really specific ways, um, is Chatterbug because Chatterbug is a little bit more human of a of a of product story right so we teach people languages and watching people learn languages and having it change their lives by opening up doors or or allowing them to move to another country or having them fall in love with somebody right i mean this is it's 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 much more satisfying i think to to watch somebody use the product heavily and then come out of it m at a much different level in whatever language they're trying to learn and then share these nice stories of, of how it's changed their lives right in, in a really yeah. in a really specific way and one of the things that you've mentioned and i've you know read on your profile was that um you want to make a world a better place and i think through chatterbug you're definitely doing that um but what was the inspiration behind it like why language learning and what appealed to you about this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think any product that's that's worth building, you know, or at least the ones that I like building are ones that would affect my life. And so I think it's really nice or, or it's interesting to kind of go through your day and think about what are you spending a lot of friction on? What are you frustrated with? Is there something that you would pay money to take to remove that friction to make that part of your life easier? Um, and for GitHub, that was very straightforward. I was, you know, I was working on Git projects and we there was really nowhere good to host them at the time. And so we, my friends and I kind of started itching 
you know, scratching this itch and creating this product. And while we were at it, making it something that was very pleasurable for us to use, right. As opposed to just, just working or, or something that we thought we could force a lot of people to use. But for Chatterbug, it was kind of the same thing. I, I lived in France for a year. I tried to learn French, um, slightly before I, I left for, for France, I was using Duolingo a lot. And while I was there, I was using all sorts of stuff, everything that existed. Essentially, I was, I was trying out in-person classes at Alliance Francaise and, um, and in-person tutoring at my house and, you know, um, I talk, like all, all, everything I could think of. And it was frustrating to kind of have to pull together, look up YouTube uh, videos that were at my level and find readings that were appropriately leveled and, you know, uh, find exercises to do and make flashcards and like all of this stuff. And so I really wanted to find something that was sort of a, a language school, but, you know, I could do it an hour a day and whenever I wanted to and scheduling was easy. And, and there was just a million problems that that were really frustrating. And I, you know, the product didn't exist. And so I wanted it to exist. And um, and I thought there there you know, language learning today is barely different than it was, you know, in 150 years ago, right? I mean, talking about 150 years ago, right? Yeah. Thomas Jefferson learned French roughly the same way that I tried to learn French, right? Like sitting in classrooms with people or having private tutors and kind of going over simple, simple things. There's, I think, better ways of learning languages and with technology today. Um, and so we set about just kind of rethinking it. How, how do we want this process to work? Like, what can we do? Um, some nice, um, just for example, right, some nice things are you can have lots of different tutors um, that that sort of fit within your schedule. And I, I like when I, I try to learn Japanese at some point and when I talked to one person, one person for like months, right, and then went to Japan, I didn't I couldn't understand anything because I was used to that one person. Right. If you if you learn a, a language from a single individual, then different accents and different speaking styles and speeds and like it, it really throws you off and is and is and can be very difficult. And so, you know, it's one of the things we try to do, right, is, is pull in lots of different people and have it be modular, have it not be 15 people in a classroom all moving at the same pace, right? There's there's actually a lot of, you know, th we were very focused on language learning, but there's there's a lot of things about learning in general that that I think can be vastly improved with technology. Um, and not very many companies are really doing that. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm thinking back to when I first moved to Mexico and I had been using, I think it was Berlitz at the time. And I got off of the plane and I looked at my host parents and I said, hola. And they responded to me. And I just had this, I think this look of like horror on my face thinking, I have no idea what you just said. And, you know, my host father at the time was from Chihuahua and a very specific dialect and accent. Um, of course, ended up learning Spanish, but, you know, I can completely relate to that. And also having had the journey of trying to learn several languages myself, um, it's not always easy. So yeah. you mentioned Japanese, you mentioned French. Um, what are you learning now? And how many languages do you speak? <laughs> um, I think like, Anybody who answers that question, it depends on the definition of speak, right? So yes. I, I can I can say some words in I don't know probably six languages, but I, I'm I'm not really very good at at any of them other than German and and well, I mean English obviously. My German is sort of high B two. I don't I, actually Americans tend not to know sort of the Cipher level leveling system, so it's harder to talk about you know what level are you are you at. Um, Americans know like high school Spanish and like total fluency and not really any grades in between that. Um, so 
my German, for example, my, my wife is German and, and so I, I speak with my in-laws, um, in German mostly. And, and, you know, I have conversations, I use Chatterbug still, um, fairly regularly and kind of go in and out of, of how, if I'm, you know, busy or not, I mean, which is kind of the nice part of the, the platform, right? You just pick up where you left off. If you took a break for a while, it's much harder to do in an in-person class. If you go to Goethe Institute or Alliance Francaise or something, but, um, so my German's relatively comfortable. I did a whiskey tasting the other night and we talked about all the whiskeys in German and stuff. And so like, I can feel comfortable. I'll get lost in a movie or something if it, if it gets super complicated, but, um, and then I, I, I did American sign language in college. So I'm relatively okay at that, or I was 15 years ago. Um, and then Spanish in high school, which, you know, everybody, I think every American probably has this, this understanding of what Spanish high school means or yeah. high school Spanish means, right. Which is, I can understand some stuff, you know, like basic phrases and stuff that are thrown at me or if it's slow or something like I'm around Spanish a lot, especially the Californian, um, but tell me, uh, like, make me try to say one sentence out loud and I, I probably couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. Completely. I love it. So you've obviously got a passion for languages and it's something that's been with you for a while. And, you know, one of the things that I'm always curious about was, you know, that moment where it's obviously been a thread that's been through your life, but there's that tipping point where you really decide to take action. Um, so was it the frustration that encouraged you to take action or what was it that really got you to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to launch Chatterbug and also I'm going to do it in Berlin. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know that I, I actually love language. I find languages interesting. I, I, I studied some linguistics and cognitive science in college, and, and I, I always found it very fascinating, sort of how the human brain works. And, you know, there, there's a lot of very fascinating things about how language is understood. You know, I mean, if you, some people say you learn a language, like they think you can learn it from a book or they, you can learn it from an app or something. But Language isn't just about recognizing words. It's about recognizing words incredibly quickly, right? If somebody says a sentence, you have to understand 20 different words and parse it out of this long string with no real spaces in between, you know, if you're listening to it and figure out what that means and apply sort of, you know, innate grammar rules and, and do it very, very, very fast. It's performance as well as knowledge. Um, and, and so hmm. it's, it's difficult, but I'm not really interested in languages per se, that's not my main driver. I think my main driver is, is culture and adventure. And, and I think mm -hmm. knowing a language, you know, that I can talk, that I can get married in German, my, my, you know, my, my, um, the wedding itself was done in German. Right. And, and like to be able to do that and to be able to talk to in-laws in German and to, to be able to have that sort of cultural connection to some degree, even if it's not perfect, it's more than it, it would be if I didn't know any of it. Right. If, if I, I, I have no, almost no interest in having like a Google translator, you know, in your ear and, and like, I, I want to be part of the culture. I find that interesting. I find those adventures interesting. And, and the only way that you can really do that, you know, the only way you can fall in love with a German in German is, is if you speak German, like you're not going to have Google in your ear for that. So, um, so I, I find that interesting and, and I find language learning kind of annoying actually, which is, which is why I want to make it easier, right? Like I don't want to sit there and be reading grammar books, um, you know, for a hundred hours. I, I want to talk to people. Um, and that's, that's, I think why Chatterbug is kind of around talking to people, centers talking to people. And it's something you can't get with most, almost anything else on the market, even in an in-person school, like most of the conversations you have are with the kid next to you that sucks just as bad at German or at French as you do, right? And and they make you have conversations and not with the native speaker, not with, you know, I want to know about Germans' lives, right? That, that's why I want to learn German. So 
Um, so yeah, I, 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 I think actually the, the, the product people that are the best are the people that are most easily annoyed by things. Um, not mm -hmm. the people who love the thing the most, right? Like if you love a, a certain nerdy technology or something like Git, for example, if you love the technology, then you, you have no interest in making it easier for people. I, I think it's because I found Git powerful, but very confusing that, that GitHub became good, right? Because we wanted to make it accessible for people. And, and it's the same with language. I, I'm not a language learning nerd. I, I, I like what language unlocks and I want to yeah. make that accessible to people. And, and right. I think good product people do that. Right? They, they get really frustrated with something and they want to make it easier. Completely. And everything that you've just said, I can completely relate to from the pain points, but also the motivation. You know, I've lived in a few countries myself. And every time part of my motivation is I want to understand the local culture. And I want to be able to have conversations. I want to connect with people. Um, and speaking of connections in different cities and countries, you know, Berlin is actually one of the places that I miss the most about my time in Europe. Um, you get to be in that incredible, vibrant city. And I know I've got a million and one reasons why I'd want to be based in Berlin. Uh, but just know that knowing the startup world that you've come from and the success story you've had, how, how did you decide on Berlin? Yeah, so um, we had German as our first language. And the reason why was because I wanted a, a, I wanted a, a I had a couple of different things when we started working on this because I had just come from trying to learn some Japanese and I come before that from trying to learn French um, and I knew some Spanish from high school and, and um, I wanted uh, a language that that a lot of people were interested in learning in sort of my culture in American culture and European culture, right? Um, and and so that I could I knew the customer relatively well. I wanted one that didn't have an alternative writing system. So um, so Russian or, or Japanese was very difficult, right? Because, because there's a lot to, I actually, a lot of my time learning Japanese, I spent learning how to read and write again from scratch, right? Like I learned kanji or uh, kana and like that, yeah, I'm not, you can do the same exact thing with Roman characters, right? It's, it's, you're not, you're not actually adding any information there when you're, when you're doing kana. So, um, it's, you can transliterate it and, and. So I, I felt that that was kind of wasteful. Like I, I wanted to learn how to how to talk to people, um, and so I chose German just because it's a almost randomly. Like I really had no interest in learning German at the time. I just it was the right challenge um, that I could kind of directly compare to my time learning French. I figured as an American, it would be roughly as difficult to learn German and French. Um, it's turns out it's a little bit more difficult in some ways, but it's easier in other. You know, it, kind of roughly, it depends um, for an English native speaker. But um, but that's why I chose it, and it was kind of random. And and then I want a dog food, my product, right? This is another sort of uh, thing that, that I would always tell somebody starting up their own company or something is use the product, like make a product you want to use yourself, right? Like I've, I've been using Chatterbug for years. Yeah. Almost all my German I've learned from, from Chatterbug. I've taken classes in Spanish and French with it as well. But I'm, I, I encourage everybody at my company to, to take language classes. Um, if we don't offer it, a lot of people take daily language classes at Chatterbug, but I want to make sure everybody working on this product cares, like is learning a language, right? Like is, is doing something. And if we don't offer it, we, we offer a stipend for people to take it elsewhere, right? To, to take Chinese classes or something if they want to. But I think that's very important to, to use your own product or to understand the, the, the sort of pain that you're trying to, to resolve. Yeah. Right. Um, and so we had this German, a class, we had a A1 and A2 German sort of sort of up through sort of high school Spanish level right um, language courses, um, and so we decided to start using it in the real world, not just internally. And so we, I knew a bunch of expats that lived in Berlin um, that worked on software startups here and had never learned German. I think it's actually very common. 
uh, for people in Berlin to to never learn German, um, and because you don't you don't really need it. You don't need it the same way that you do in, in Paris or or in the countryside or something, right? And and so, or, I mean, you know, French in, in Paris. But it, as as a major city, it's very easy to get by with English. In fact, you can go in a lot of places and they don't speak German, right? The, the coffee shops and stuff. Um, it's like all Australians and whatnot. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so so we had this thing. I wanted to test it out for real. We went to market early, and so we opened an office here and started selling it here. And now most of our our uh, employees are in Berlin because it's a much easier place to grow a startup, I think, than San Francisco. Um, it's it's less expensive. There's lots of people that are from. I mean, especially for a language learning startup, it's a very international city in a way that San Francisco is not. Um, it's you know we can hire lots of teachers and people that are experts in didactics and stuff, and a lot of a lot of interesting people, I think, have been pushed out of San Francisco in the last ten years uh, from from pricing, uh, like housing costs and and whatnot. And so, and Berlin's super cool, right? Like people want to move to Berlin, people want to live in Berlin. There, you can find everybody in Berlin, um, and and you know, runway lasts a lot longer here. So we we just ended up kind of hiring here and having office space here, and and then over time, I ended up moving here. So so you know, it pulled me it pulled me in. It's fantastic. I think in your, when you were just talking, a few things popped into my mind. And, you know, when you're talking about that pain point or solving a frustration for people, um, you know, I think Chatterbug is definitely doing that. And talking about expats, you know, having been an expat myself, one of the biggest challenges, I think, to learning a new language wherever you live is time and accessibility. And I think Chatterbox really opens that up. But you've also talked about um, a pain point you've been able to, or frustration that you've been able to, like, I'm going to say, to remove from your business as well is, you know, when it comes to starting up a business, there's costs associated to that, hiring the right people, finding the right talent, um, creating the right culture. And, you know, by moving to Berlin, it sounds like you've been able to remove some of those points. But on that culture piece, I'm really curious, like, what is it that you've done? Like, what is the culture like at Chatterbug? And what are your philosophies or ideas about building a startup and creating that right culture, not just from um, as you grow, but from day one and as you scale? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really important to hire people who love what they're doing, right? That that mm, I mean, this is the other thing that's great about Berlin versus San Francisco. In San Francisco, I think you do get a lot more people that are that are there for their career or something, or to make you know more money. Um, and in Berlin, I think people are here because they love Berlin, right? They they like the the they like being in a cool city. They like being in an artistic city. Um, you know, the, the, it's just a, a nice, like the city itself is very cool and, and people don't move here for tech, right? Even though there is a lot of tech, there is a lot of startup, um, sort of seen here, but that's not, that's not what Berlin is hundred. That's not its thing that it's known for the, the way that sort of San Francisco or Silicon Valley is. And so, um, and so you, you can find, you know, for the, for what we're trying to build, which requires teaching, which requires art, which re- requires creativity, um, I think you know it's it's much easier to to find people like that here and to hire people into the company that have a passion for what they're doing. And actually, what we ended up doing was hiring mostly teachers um, at first. We we invested a lot in didactics and in, in creating our own curriculum and owning our curriculum and making it a, a centerpiece of of the platform. And having the engineers um, that that we have uh, as well work with this large education uh, sort of educational team, learning experience team, to say, here's how we should teach people. And then, you know, the engineers can say, well, here's what we can do technically, right? And then the teachers can be like, okay, well, what is harder? And having that, I think, combination has made for a really fascinating culture at at Chatterbug because it's not 
Yeah, and GitHub is different because we were software developers creating yeah. tools for software developers, and so we thought we knew everybody's problem, and um, it was kind of harder to get people to empathize with each other or with uh, customers that weren't exactly like us. I think where where we are, everybody has learned languages. There's nobody in the company that doesn't speak at least two languages to some degree, some five or six, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, I think uh, there's a lot of of empathy for for people in different departments and people that are doing different jobs um and and actually an interesting side product of that is that i think our company is somewhere around 70 percent women as well um because the you know the sort of the issue that you you have in silicon valley hiring software developers is you get mostly sort of men you know that 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 make up the software development world in the valley at least and and in teaching it's exactly the opposite it's almost all women and so yeah. it's difficult to hire men to you know that have been long-term language teachers um and so uh, our our company is actually is 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 mostly women but that that creates again like and teachers right who are sort of naturally empathetic and so that that creates i think a very different culture just by its nature um uh but yeah it's it's a, a really fun place to work actually yeah it sounds like a lot of fun and i also like the diversity the diversity of thinking the diversity of backgrounds the diversity of learning experiences and taking that and applying it um and again i've just found since i've started doing the app it's been very useful for myself so. yeah actually that's that's you know the other sort of fascinating thing when you when you do a language learning company and you're hiring all these native speakers from everywhere i mean we have people we have a company of 42 people and i think from 30 nationalities or something right and so there's actually most of the problems that not, not problems but like when people get in in you know they think somebody's mad at them or something it's for little cultural things that that you didn't even know were problematic right of of you know not wanting to hug somebody or or kiss them on a cheek or like things that are super normal in your culture and are really weird in a different culture or you know that type of thing comes up in the office all the time and and it's it's sort of fascinating um to have people from everywhere and to have this thing where you have to know when you come in right there's people from all over the world here that that speak all sorts of different languages um, as as sort of mother tongues and and have come from lots of different backgrounds. Like, you know, you have to give people a second and, and assume that they're not trying to insult you. So on that, one of the things that you hear a lot with startups is fail fast and move on or, you know, learn from that experience. And I often think when it comes to cultural diversity, um, there's an opportunity to learn and to change perspective. Um, because when you come from a different background, there's biases that you carry with you. But also sometimes misunderstandings are literally just based because of different backgrounds and experiences. So yeah. how do you embrace and encourage um, your teams to, you know, learn from that diversity and apply it to the work that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, we try we try to have people um, share fairly often, right? So, um, and and people, I think I think if you get people talk to talk to each other constantly, that that perceived slights become less important, right? If if they don't, if if you. You know, one of the the things that is kind of nice is we have uh, this nice office where we can spread people out and mix them up and stuff. And you're all sitting next to somebody you don't work with, or we have little projects where there's a lot of cross team sort of projects that you you can't like engineering doesn't really do anything by themselves, right? They they have to work with marketing, they have to work with design, they have to work primarily with the the teachers, with the learning experience team. And so, um, I think that that helps break down a lot of those those barriers. Um, it's actually one of the problems that I see with a lot of companies that, especially that are trying to move remote now, right? If you don't have a lot of things in place to get people to build empathy for each other, then they don't sort of come out of the gate thinking that they're they're not trying to be insulted or or that somebody's out to get them or something, right? Um, 
But again, I think having a company, it's, I'm, we're cheating a little bit because having a company that's primarily meant to teach people, um, is, tends to be a little less cutthroat, I think. Yeah, but it seems, it feels like you're embracing it in your culture as well. And I think, you know, there's lots of organizations that exist where that doesn't happen. So, you know, some great learnings in there for everybody who's listening. So you mentioned, um, that you've talked a lot about startups and Berlin being a really cool place to be. And, um, there's a lot of, you know, technology startups there, but Berlin's often seen as that place that's like really diverse, creative, kind of edgy. And I know that you've been working with, um, an accelerator in Berlin scene. Um, so why is that work important to you? And, you know, how is that manifesting and bringing all those elements together in Berlin? Yeah, so um, I, when GitHub was acquired by Microsoft, um, there's, you know, people start wondering if you're going to start investing, become an investor or join a VC or, or something <laughs> like that. And I'm not, I'm not really interested in that. I'm, I'm, I'm personally very interested in, in, operating right and building product and mm. in helping people maybe but but um so i i kind of hated talking to, I, I never really wanted to invest in anything because i didn't have a philosophy i didn't know what to do and uh my partner and i that that are working at at chatterbug running chatterbug together as well we decided to get a whole bunch of extra space so that we didn't have to find new office space every couple of years as sort of chatterbug grew and we had all this extra space and we were brainstorming what should we do with this um and so what we ended up doing is creating this this accelerator scene um which is spelled s-c-n-e and and it's very small and we're finding you know people apply to us and we are looking for people that that are sort of um following what i'm talking about right of, of building good product building product for users um, very, very early, like one or two people for the most part. And, and we'll, we'll do a pre-seed round and have them come into our space and have office hours with us and try to help mentor them and help them build product, right, of, of from people that have, you know, built and sold companies, um, my partner Ann and I, and, and we can kind of help them uh, hopefully sort of move on to the next level and connect them with people that we know. And it's mostly just because we love Berlin, right? Like we, I love having this cool dynamic space that I can come into and there's all of these young companies sort of building stuff and hustling and doing things and building things that they love. Um, and my company and, you know, uh, Chatterbug also working in the same space and having lunch together and meeting all these cool people doing fun stuff in, in Berlin. Um, and I, it, it just, it, it's fun, right? It's mostly just that it's fun. <laughs> I think it's interesting though, that it's fun, which love that passion and enthusiasm behind it. But again, you're doing something that's really been kind of a pain point or like a, a challenge. You know, a lot of startups face challenges around, they've got a great idea, but they don't have the right mentorship. They don't have the right seating and support. And also being in an environment where there's inspiration, you know, sometimes when you're an entrepreneur or co-founder and it's either you're by yourself or with two people, you don't have those other ideas and perspectives around yeah. you. So by being able to create that, I think is actually quite impactful. And on the other side, I can imagine that you and your teams also benefit from having them around. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, it was actually one of the things that, that I, when GitHub, GitHub was bootstrapped for a long time and we made a lot of decisions, some of which were good and sort of, or interesting at the least, right? Um, and some of which were decidedly bad, but, you know, in, in retrospect, but we didn't have that many people to really ask. We were all young software developers. We had no mentors. We, you know, really, um, and then when we did take on uh, VC final, uh, you know, eventually uh, after years, uh, we actually bootstrapped for a very long time. Um, we partnered with Andreessen Horowitz. And one of the really nice things is that 
everybody that we talked to at Injuries and Horowitz had been doing things for a very, very long time, right? They had a big operating team. They had a lot of people to talk to. They had a lot of people they could connect you to. Um, and I kind of wish we'd had, whether we didn't always take their advice, but it's always interesting, I think, to hear from somebody who's been through it a number of times um, and, and or knows somebody else to talk to, right, if they're not the right person. And, and that, I think, was invaluable for us um, in, in sort of this middle phase. And I, I'm hoping that I can help you know, personally, or Anne or I, we had very different businesses that, that, you know, we built and sold. And so we come from very different backgrounds. Um, and so when some, when one of the, the founders of the small companies, you know, that, that go through our accelerator have a question, hopefully one of us can at least lead them in the right direction or tell them what, what happened to us, like what we went through at that, at that stage. And that's always valuable, right. To, to hear that from somebody. Completely. So just out of curiosity, how many startups have you been involved with? Uh, through the accelerator or you're or talking about personally, personally. Uh, so, I mean, there were three companies that I worked for before GitHub and then I was at GitHub for eight years. And then I've been with Chatterbug for four now, I think. Fantastic. So the reason I'm asking is I think sometimes um, people from the outside have a perception of that every startup works and, you know, in order for a company to be successful, it's going to become a unicorn or be sold to Microsoft as an example. Um, but just knowing that you've been involved with different startups, you're also mentoring startups and you're in that scene. What do you think are some common myths um, that are surrounding startups and what should people be aware of so they can be successful? Um. That's a great, that's a great question. It highly depends on the person and the the startup, I think. I, most of the, you know, I've been involved in very consumer-oriented product-based startups, and those are the ones that I'm interested in and the ones that I'm interested in having it seen as well. Um, as sort of, and ones that are, that can be, technology, you know, is very important in them. And so, um, I, yeah, I've seen, a lot of different people do a lot of different types of startups. And, and I think the, the key to, for, for me, the thing that I find interesting, the, the startups that I admire are having a founding team that, that loves the product that they're making. Right. I, I've, I see a lot of startups, I think where they're started because they think they'll make money on it. Um, that's very, very common. And more and more as Silicon Valley, as it, you know, sort of blew up from 2000 on, um, I think you would see a lot of people just coming in from, you know, a business degree or or from Boston, you know, BCG or McKinsey or something and being like, okay, I'm, I'm going to start this thing. And and they don't care about the product that they're doing, right? They they yeah. just think that they can, that there's a market there. Um, and I, I have no interest in that. And, and I, you know, I have no numbers on that. So I don't know if they actually are more or less successful, but I know that they probably have less fun doing it, right? One way or the other. Um, and I, I've seen lots of startups, you know, there's, there's, People at, at, I don't know, Basecamp, for example, right, where they, they are very successful. They never unicorned or exploded or anything, but I think everybody there loves what they're doing and and they're very proud of the products that they make. And um, there's there's a, it's just a different type of success, right? And and I don't think you're happier having some huge GitHub or having, you know, some, or even building something that you loved and and having it fold, right? That That's still, I think, interesting and and. And it's an adventure, and and I don't think people should uh, avoid it if it's if it's something they want to see in the world, if it's something that they they're going to love working on, right? I completely agree, and I also yeah, on so many levels, I think it's really important to enjoy what you're doing, but also to be able to support your values and your passion and your purpose, and have that manifest in the world. And if you can do what you love, absolutely amazing. Wouldn't it be great if we could all do that? Yeah. <laughs> 
so you mentioned investing in startups and being able to help them. But if you had $100 million and you could spend on any technology, because you've mentioned that technology is really important to you and needs to be the core of everything, but also no red tape. So there is no regulations, there's no boundaries, there's no limits. How would you spend it and what would you do? Yeah, I mean, that's a hard that's a hard different um, decision for me between education, I think, of of just com- very much looking at an upending childhood education. Um, I think that the a lot of of the education system um, from sort of kindergarten or preschool, actually, um, through high school, through college, even um, is is based on a, a system that isn't really it, it's because it's been done for a hundred years, right? Like it's, it, it has this very factory sort of feel and not, not a place of, of exploration and, and learning and guidance. And, and, um, it is, you know, it's highly difficult to change anything, right? Because, because in America it's easier in Germany, it's almost, you can't even homeschool children or anything. Right. And so there's really no, in America, at least if you have time and, and resources, I mean, we're seeing this already. It's totally fascinating with, with COVID right now, because now it's kind of, everybody's on their, it's a wild, wild West, right? Like in, in educating children. And, and it's, it's sad in some major ways because if you have time and resources and you can sit home with your children and homeschool them and, you know, you, you can create fantastic dynamic curriculums now that you really didn't, wouldn't do normally. Right. If, uh, if, if, if it wasn't sort of for COVID and all these great online resources that you can weave in and stuff, it's a ton of work and it's super difficult. Um, and families with resources are sort of hiring, you know, people to come in and teach these pods and stuff like that. And I think that it's horribly sad because there's, I think a really interesting, dynamic model of learning that that I think will come out of this and, and is being developed here, but only for people with resources, right? Because if you didn't have any resources, if you come from a family with no resources and no time, or you can't take off, you know, hire people or take off time or whatever to teach your kids, then they're going to fall even farther behind. And, and it's it's actually a, a massive tragedy. Um, but, but it it could be great, right? There, 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 we could have a model that's more similar to sort of how Chatterbug teaches languages where it's very modular and it's very individual. And, you know, you can learn with some online resources, you can do stuff in sort of in-person, you know, groups. Um, you can pull in experts when you need experts on specific things, right? Like, I, I think there's a really interesting dynamic um, theory of education that, that, we could see come out of this and maybe this, this, you know, hope, hopefully one good thing that comes out of COVID is having people rethink about education a little bit. Um, and then the other is healthcare. Healthcare is just a massive nightmare everywhere. Sharing uh, information, me having to, you know, take my records from doctor to doctor. I mean, it, it, that's another thing that again is very, very difficult to change um, in any meaningful way because of regulation and because of existing systems. Um, and there are much, much better ways of doing that, I think. And and I would, uh, I would love to see a huge change there, right? But, um, but again, there's, there's, it's easier to start a little you know, language learning startup or software developer tool company or whatever, where there's nobody really in that space before they kind of, the people that are are small and they suck and there's no 
protection or regulation or government or whatever. But if you're trying to tackle healthcare and education, that that's much more difficult. No, completely agree. And I think just uh, to build on that for anybody who's listening, obviously it sounds like there's either going to be a chatterbox, um, you know, next version and maybe, you know, targeting education, or there could be an idea for somebody in there. <laughs> and I'm, hoping, I'm really hoping some people are thinking about that. How do we, you know, leverage technology and take this opportunity to change our educational system? Because um, I'm personally a big believer that it really needs a seismic shift. Um, but also on the healthcare piece, it's interesting because one of the startups I'm involved with, in fact, is actually looking at that is um, I work with a team called Care Team who's developing solutions where all of the your records and your documents can be connected throughout um, whoever your provider is. But I'm actually looking at applying that to the addiction space and with something called continuing care so we can have people who are suffering from addiction. Um, so I think, yeah, to your point, great areas to be investing in. So I like that you started off with the learning piece and learning seems to be um, at the center of everything you do. And it sounds like you're a continuous learner and very invested in learning yourself. Um, you know, at 15 seconds, we always say that the future belongs to the curious ones. Um, so hopefully a lot of people are becoming really curious as we're going through this time period. But what does that mean to you? And what are you curious about now? Um. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I, I'm actually I feel like the um, the you know the area of language learning for me is is continuous. I mean, you know, if you think about the there's there's all of these different phases that you go through, and right now I'm sort of in this intermediate to advanced phase that's very frustrating that a lot of people kind of get bogged down in because I can communicate you know for the most part and I can have conversations and to move into you know learning very rare sort of phrasing or words or grammar or something becomes, uh, you know, when I can communicate, like to move on to being totally, you know, fluent or, or native-like or something is, it's so much work for so little sort of out, you know, reward really, right? Like you're not, you're not getting that much. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to convince politicians in German or something, right? So like how fluent, you know, how, how convincing do I really need to be? Um, but we're, we're, this is like a thing that, that we're trying to solve it at Chatterbug as well. Um, just, you know, because we're looking at a, a sort of wider range of, of how to make this interesting. Um, and then the other thing that, that I'm really interested in is, is, um, sort of VR, um, because, and I, we have a small VR team at, at yeah. Chatterbug because there's a lot of things about education using sort of VR tools that has never really been tried, isn't really known. Like, can we use spatiality to help with memorizing vocabulary or for sort of having these, these the sort of physical response that you can set up um, in, in, virtual, in virtual environments, help with memorization or help with recall. Um, and, and, or there's a lot of educational sort of um, uses of that. And, and so, getting into these worlds and learning what's available and, and building our own things, right. And having input into what do I want to see? Like, what could we try? I think is, is really interesting. I think that sounds fascinating. I can't wait to see how it evolves and look forward to one day, maybe having some sort of virtual conversation. <laughs> um, thank you, Scott, for your time. Um, really, really appreciate it. I think, you know, I've learned a lot and there's some lessons that um, I'll definitely take away and have been reinforced, especially around, you know, loving what you do, um, being passionate, thinking about the customer and really, truly. And I, I'd like to the example that you used earlier around part of the reason that you're in Berlin is because you wanted to test it with people who would actually use it like get out there and talk to people and learn from them and adapt 
um, figure out what that problem is that you're trying to solve that's a problem for you and and think about how you bring that to the world, but also how do we solve that um, leveraging the knowledge from your actual users? Because I think enough times that doesn't happen. Um, I also heard a lot about communication, but not just communication from the perspective of improving communication, enhancing it, but really leveraging it to build that right culture and to build dynamic teams. Um, And lastly, empathy. It sounds like you're, you bring a lot of empathy into everything that you absolutely do. Um, but before we do sign off, there's two questions that I have for you is first, um, any closing remarks? And secondly, like, I think you're going to continue to change the world. So how do we keep up with you? Um, and if people want to reach you, how do they get in touch? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> um, so uh, probably Twitter is, is the best way to, to see at least what I'm getting mad at in the world. I'm kind of this old man on Twitter, you know, yelling at, at things that don't work. Um, but, uh, but sometimes I, I, I'll tweet normal things or, or things that I'm interested in there. Um, and, and, uh, DMs are open. So like if, you know, a lot of times people will, will, uh, send me something on that and it's, it's a relatively way good way of, of getting in touch with me, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, last, last notes, right. I mean, if you're, if you're starting your own company or if you're thinking about it, or if you're joining a startup, um, definitely do something that try to choose something that you care about, right? Like try to choose something that, that you really would love, whatever the mission of the product is, you would love to see it in the world. Like you think that it would make you know, I, I mean, it doesn't have to make the world a better place, but it has to make the world more interesting for you, right? And and I think that that's that's important that that you you love what it is that you're trying to to create, um, and that can be anything. And and honestly, you know, I I I know a lot of people who work for companies where it's like, oh, it's a good company, or you know, it 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 does something it, like it's successful or something. But if you don't ultimately care what it is that it's doing, right? Um, then why, you know, life's pretty short, right? Why, why are you wasting your time doing that? Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what I would, if it's possible, I know it's not possible for everybody. It's kind of a nice, you know, sort of problem to have, but, um, but if it's possible to do something that, that you enjoy working on every day, right? I love going to work every day and, and, and in all of the things that I do, I, I find them all very, very fundamentally fascinating and and fun and so that that's what i would if it's at all possible that's what i would uh highly push you to try to do well i've added you on twitter <laughs> and so i'll be following you looking forward to seeing what's frustrating yeah. it's my my handle is just my last name so yeah. it's just going. perfect yeah um and I, I can see like a future tagline with the future belongs to the curious ones um change the world in the way that you love or change the world in a way that can make it better for you or something along those lines so thank you so much for your time today um thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and i know our listeners will too and for everybody who's listening until the next time stay curious continue to explore your passions and figure out how you can change the world and make a difference in the way that you want to. Thank you, Scott. Thank you.